0: I, uh, I've got a daughter who is 15 years old, and she is amazing. She is a ballerina. She has been taking ballet for, for 10 years, and, and, I, and I love it because she is, is amazing and, and graceful and beautiful. She just dances, and it just flows, and it is remarkable. Um, she takes ballet um, up at the studio just right up the road on 32nd and Chestnut uh, uh, called the Yakima School of Ballet. Uh, led by a lady by the name of Miss Lisa. I, I, I think she probably goes by other things, but we call her Miss Lisa. And uh, what's amazing is as, as we've had our daughter in ballet for all this time, people talk about how much they love Miss Lisa. Oh, Miss Lisa, we love her, we love her. But, you know, it's funny how oftentimes we say, like, we love a person, but it doesn't, words don't really matter much unless you can actually show it, right? I mean, like, people say, we love Miss Lisa, but I'm like, okay, well, where's well, the proof that you actually love her? Well, I will say I was encouraged this week. There was one of the ballet parents who knew that Miss Lisa, she has these uh, floor-to-ceiling windows, not windows, mirrors, these mirrors that are huge. And uh, she has a couple of boys, and when they were younger, they took a skateboard, and they rolled around, and they broke the, windows, the mirrors. And uh, Miss Lisa just never got around to getting them fixed. And so this mom said, I'm going to take it on myself, on behalf of Miss Lisa, to do a GoFundMe. And, and, and the mirrors she it, uh, guesstimated were about $2,300 to get repair, repaired. She put this GoFundMe out for Miss Lisa to get these mirrors replaced. And it's awesome because after just a few days, uh, she was targeting raising $2,300. And as of last night, uh, it was well over $9,000 that had been donated on behalf of Miss Lisa. And I tell you what, I love that. Because here people claim, hey, we love Miss Lisa, she's amazing, we love her. But it's really good to see like there's actually actions that prove your love. Because we can all say one thing. We can all say we love somebody, we're devoted to something. But unless there's the action behind it, the words are kind of meaningless and don't mean a ton. Sometimes, though, even with this idea of love and devotion, sometimes maybe we have this idea of what devotion is. We think, well, I show my devotion in this way, but sometimes it's kind of missing the mark. It's not what would be expected, right? So, for example, I ran into a, a, a family ch- friend from my childhood, and she knew I was a pastor, and, and so she said, hey, can, can you talk to me? And so I'm talking to her, and, and she says, you know, my husband and I, we've been married for 50 years. I think I shared the story a little bit ago, and she said, we've been married for 50 years, such a long time, but we're struggling. She said, my health is failing, and and it's changing the dynamic of our relationship. And and, and here's the problem, is is my husband has this idea that he is fully devoted to me. And she says, when he says he's fully devoted to me, what that means for him is that he goes to work, he he makes a paycheck, and he provides for me financially. For him, like that is all he has to do to be devoted to his wife, is just provide financially. And she's like, now I'm in the season where, where my health is failing And I need more than just financial provision. I need his care, his concern. I need him to step in and and start doing some things for me. And she says, I'm in the season where I'm grieving my marriage. Because here I'm I'm struggling. And the devotion he gives me, it just is not the devotion that's needed. It's not the devotion that shows he's with me till death do us part. Isn't that kind of life though? Like if we're gonna be all that God calls us to be, there's gotta be not just a devotion, but it's gotta be the right kind of devotion. Because we all have these different ideas on on this shows I'm devoted to God. But it's gotta be the right devotion. God dictates what that devotion is. I think about the church. Think about this devotion to the church. And I will say the devotion to the church is so powerful. I mean, we see in Acts chapter 2, we see this early church becomes a movement that impacts everything around it, impacts families and schools and neighborhoods. It just has this tremendous impact. In fact, one of the reasons we here today at Restoration Church, 1705 West Chestnut, is because the early church was devoted to God and devoted to each other. That that devotion led to, to the gospel transforming lives and radically transforming people. And those people committed to the church and those people committed to the church. And that devotion has led us to being here today, doing what we do. In fact, I think about my own life. My own life, I have been dramatically impacted because of people in a church. People that didn't have to love me, but chose to be devoted to God, devoted to God's people and they had an impact on my life. I think about this guy named Parrish Plumley. Parrish Plumley, uh, this guy I got to know when I first became a Christian, he's, he, he's very short. He's shorter than I am, but he's about twice as wide as I am. And I'm not saying like this way, I'm like, he's just thick. He's a strong guy. He's a guy that you wouldn't want to meet down a dark alley. And he says, but the funny thing is, is as wide as he is, he's got a smile that goes from ear to ear. It's just huge, this huge smile. I mean, I think about Parrish. When I was in that season of figuring out faith, figuring uh, figuring out marriage and parenting, Parrish was a guy who just invested into me and helped invest my life and point me to Jesus. I think about a guy named named Jack Peters. Now, Jack Peters is a guy who, who used to wear socks with his sandals. Listen, I don't know if anybody does that. You're not supposed to do that. Those two things, you don't wear socks with sandals. Especially flip flops. If you're that person, I'm calling you out right now. Do not do that. That is a no no. It is weird. Okay, Jack was that guy. Jack was that guy. But I tell you what, Jack was so great because Jack was able to walk me through sin. He was able to help me figure out how to be a better husband. Jack was a guy who taught me how to actually teach scripture. Again, these are guys in the church that had a devotion to me, not because they had any reason, because they were devoted to God and to his people. I think about, I think about my in-laws. Sometimes I call them my outlaws, if you know what I mean. Like, my in-laws, they, they like me to some degree, but they have invested in my life and my faith, have continued to point me to Jesus. And I think about this is what the church is. That is the church. You have this... Odd, the strange, the smattering of people. You've got, you've got Parrish and his wide smile. You've got Jack and his, his toes sticking out of his flip-flops and socks and weird. You've got my outlaws. This is what the church is. A smattering of people that God has called together to do what? To make disciples. To be devoted to one another. To point each other to Jesus. We are in the book of Acts for the next couple of months. Actually, we'll probably be here for the rest of the year. And we get to see how the early church, the biblical church, the first church was not just an institution, not just a place you came to to receive some religious services, to hear a preacher preach, but the church became a movement. The church was in motion. It changed the world around them, transformed and impacted lives and communities. And I'm so excited to be in this book to be able to look at that. We saw last week how uh, there was a crowd g- that gathered after the Holy Spirit uh, came upon the disciples at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. They're all speaking in foreign languages. And the crowd is like, what is going on? And that's when Peter stood up in the very first church service in the early church. Peter stood up and preached a sermon and said, Jesus died for you and he rose from the grave. And He died because... He suffered the pangs of death. He died because you and I, our sin, put Jesus on the cross. He died. He rose from the grave, conquering Satan and sin and death and hell to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is a Savior, that he is the one who will fix all things that have gone wrong in our hearts and in our lives. And we saw last week that, that Peter preaches this, messages, this message, and the people, it says they were cut to the heart, which means They opened up their heart to allow God to do some work inside of them. They were convicted of their sin, and they said, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, representing that you are putting your your trust and faith in Jesus as your Savior. And the coolest thing is he preaches a sermon, the people are cut to the heart, the people repent. Verse 41, it says, those who received his word and were baptized About 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That's that's pretty awesome, right? They started the day, there's 120 of them gathered in a room. There's a a group about our size. And in a single day, God adds 3,000 people. They've now gone from a church of 120 to 3,120. And I just got to put myself in those disciples' shoes, and I'm like, what do we do here, right? Like, we've just grown from 120 to, like, like, how do we organize this thing? Like, where, where do, what do we do? Like, like anybody have an idea for, connect, like, they didn't have connection cards. how do they get, like, contact information? There's no social media. There's no email. There's no text messages. How do they get the word out? Hey, here's what we're going to do. What do you, how, how do we do churches? What do we do here? But the one thing they did know is they went from 120 to 3,000. The one thing those disciples knew, our job is to make disciples. That's what we are called to do. Jesus called us to make disciples. And in our text today, we get to see how the early church accomplished that. How they took whoever God brought to them, whether it be 120, or whether it be 3,120. We see how they accomplished this idea of making disciples. And I say this really becomes the priorities of the church. I mean, we always have this idea that we want to be, we want to go to a biblical church. But what does that actually mean to be a biblical church? This is what the answer is. You're looking for a biblical church. This is what it is. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. This is the picture of the biblical church. This is what it should look like. And I want you to notice the key word of this whole text. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they... Devoted themselves. That, that's the key word right there. They devoted themselves. What does it mean to be devote? What, what does it mean to devote yourself? To devote means you give constant attention to, you persist in, you adhere to. It means you are, are committing yourself to this. You are, are loyal to this. You're faithful to it. Right? That's what it means to be devoted. Now again, we, we step in a church and we think we have lots of ideas of what it means to be devoted, right? Sometimes we think churches were devoted to a specific program. We're devoted to a specific, uh, you know, a denomination and set of practices. We're devoted to outreach. We're devoted to, to worship. We're devoted to the Holy Spirit. We're devoted to, to education. There's all these things that churches can be devoted to. And those things are good. They can serve the mission of the church Well. But the early church became a movement. They experienced revival like we've never seen before because they were devoted to very specific things. In fact, I think about our church. I think there's many of us in this room that would say we are devoted to the church. But the question I want to ask is, are you devoted to the church? Like Acts chapter two, verse 42 says, because there were four bold devotions that they were devoted to that Move, shape them to become a movement, shape them to impact the world around them. These are the four bold devotions of the church. I think as a church, this is what we're striving for. This is what we're calling each other to. First bold devotion, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which means they were devoted to the word of God. You see, when, when Acts chapter 2, when this story is taking place, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the second half. All they had was the Old Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have copies of those gospel accounts. Peter and John and James and a guy we're going to meet in a couple chapters called Paul. They hadn't written their epistles yet. So they didn't have the complete word of God. But what did the early church have? They had the disciples who lived and learned from Jesus. And as his followers, they're teaching the things that Jesus taught his disciples. They're saying, hey, 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 here's what Jesus said at this point. Here's what Jesus said uh, on the last day before he was ascended up into the throne. Here's submission he gave the church to the disciples. Here's the parable that Jesus taught about this and that. And they're teaching what Jesus taught them. They're passing it on. In fact, this is what the apostle Paul said to Timothy. He said in, in 2 Timothy 2, what you've heard from me commit or pass on to faithful men who are able to teach others as well see this is how the word of god got spread it's as 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 they learn from jesus they pass it on to others who pass it on to others now today we have the benefits we've got this complete bible right here today this is the word of god we have the entire thing and its entirety here and that's why The Apostle Paul said, Timothy, in another chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, he said, All Scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. The early church was devoted to the Scriptures. Now, and I'll say this, God is a God of order. And I think there's a reason why, why, why well, we see in this text that they were devoted first and foremost to the word of God, because I don't think it's just this random smattering of a bunch of different things. Oh, we'll just throw these different random things. No, I think the word of God is, is most important for us to be devoted to. And they were devoted wholeheartedly to the scriptures, to the apostles teaching to this book we have in front of us. Second thing they were devoted to is they were devoted to fellowship. Now let me ask you this: if you've been in church for a long time, when I say the word fellowship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Potlucks, right? Food, right? Like churches, churches. We have these things called fellowship halls. And what do you do in a fellowship hall? You have potlucks. Now, I don't know, like I've read the scriptures, so I'm trying to figure out like. Where do we ever get this idea that you make jello and, and you take the jello and then you take a, a, a carrot peeler and you peel shreds of carrot and put carrot in jello? Like, where did that come from? Who came up with that? That's disgusting. That is, maybe you're, hold, let, let me, not, let me not, not offend you. Maybe that's your thing. Like, that's weird. I don't know who came up with that, right? Church potlucks. Now, church potluck, here's the secret is you got to know who makes good food. There's a few people that I know are really good cooks. And I tell you, if we do a potluck, I'm watching to see, oh, what are they bringing? I want to make sure I eat some of that. And and, and you got the cat lady. You don't want to eat from the cat lady. You never know what you're going to find in that plate, right? Fellowship, right? Isn't this what we call fellowship Is, is potlucks? Let me tell you what. Fellowship is much more than just a potluck. Actually, the word for fellowship is koinonia. And what it means is it means that we have a a partnership. We have a uh, a participation. We are giving of ourselves to someone else. This idea of commonness. It is a sacrificial commitment. See, fellowship isn't just sharing jello. It's actually sharing our lives. It's having a deep care and concern for other people. It's where we actually sacrifice for one another. In fact, you ever, you ever seen a group in a church? You ever step into a church or you see a group and you're like, man, what's the connection here? You look at this group of people and you're like, man, they come from different walks of life, different backgrounds. Man, they're so weird. Like, what a weird smattering of people. What's the- they don't belong together. You know what that is? That's koinonia. That is, is fellowship. Fellowship, koinonia, is what moves strangers to become a family. That's what the gospel does. The gospel leads us to have this fellowship with one another where we no longer are we strangers, that we actually become the family of God, that we belong together. In fact, this text, remember in Acts chapter 2, we saw there were 13 different nations represented. There are people from all different countries that are gathered together to become a part of this koinonia, this church, this fellowship. You've got people from, uh, that are rich and poor. You've got young and old. You've got Republicans and Democrats. You've got cat and dog people. You've got people who like good music and people who like that other kind of music. You know what I'm talking about, right? Con- country, is that what you call it? Like, like this is all these people brought together And there's this koinonia, there's this commitment to one another. There's this sacrificing for the body, for the belonging together. They were devoted to one another, sacrificing for one another. In fact, their their, their fellowship, the koinonia was so strong. It says in verse 44, that all of those who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had needs. You see that? There's such a commitment to one another, such a fellowship of a koinonia. They're like, hey, you got a need? I'll sell some property. I'll have a yard sale. I'll do some stuff to meet that need. Let me ask you. Is that the same fellowship that we see in the church today? Because, you know, it's interesting. As people come into the church and they say, hey, we're looking for fellowship. We're looking for community. And really what that means is they're walking in with an eye for themselves. They're looking out for themselves. They can hardly imagine anybody else in the room. Listen, if we're going to truly have fellowship, listen, you need to hear this. If we're going to truly have fellowship and community... It's not until we learn how to love others, be devoted to others. That is what koinonia and fellowship of the church is rooted in. The fact that we are committed to others, that we are, are a giving of ourselves. And guess what? There's a thing, when, you give to your, when you give to that, there's, there's a return that you get from it as well. Again, I think many of us in the church, we claim we're devoted. We're devoted to the people But are we actually sacrificing for one another? I mean, oftentimes we say, you know, our sacrifice is really just giving someone our leftovers, right? Our sacrifice for somebody else is, well, I've got a little bit of excess. Here, let me give this to you. We give someone, we give people what we don't want anymore. You know, there's another word for that. It's called a donation. It's called a donation. Donation. That's That's called donating something you don't want. We call that spring cleaning. That's what that is. So let's not call that sacrifice. Let's call that a donation. And I think here, God's calling us to more than just a donation. He's calling us to to sacrificially be so committed to the people that we're willing to sacrifice for one another. And here we are, we wonder, well, why don't we look like the early church? Why don't we look like the Acts chapter 2 church? Probably because we're in a spot that we want to be comfortable. I'll all sacrifice as long as it's comfortable to me. As long as it's easy. As long as it doesn't hurt me too badly. Because we're not devoted to koinonia. We're not deeply committed to the body. We're not actually sacrificing for one another. Putting their needs above our own. We're just trying to do a little bit. Just a little bit. And we're missing out on this idea of being deeply devoted to one another through koinonia. That's fellowship. They were committed to fellowship. Number three, they were committed to breaking of bread. What does it mean that they're committed to breaking of bread? Well, does that mean communion? Yes, it means communion. Communion is where we take the bread that represents Jesus' body broken for us. And then we take the cup of juice that represents Jesus' blood shed on the cross. We take those two things as a, as a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. We take those things to remind us that it's our sin that caused the pangs of death on Jesus. And out of God's great love for us, Jesus died in our place and rose from the grave so that we could be made right with God. And so it's good and right. We do this once a month here at Restoration where we take, partake of communion to remind us Of what Jesus has done for us. This is breaking of bread. But I'll tell you what. Breaking of bread is not just communion. It's much more than just that. Notice what it says in verse 46. It says day by day. Attending the temple together. They were breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food. With glad and generous hearts. You see what that just said? The church gathered together at the temple. There's this large gathering. They do that. But look what else they do. That wasn't enough. They gathered in the church. They gathered the temple. And then they scattered into their homes to break bread in their homes. You see, we, have, we love this idea of koinonia and fellowship. For us to actually have koinonia, we actually have to get into each other's lives. We have to get beyond the superficial conversations on Sunday morning. How was the weather? How's the Seahawks? They're doing really good. They're doing a lot better than some other teams. We know that. We've got to get beyond the superficial. And that's why it says they, they, they broke bread in their homes. You see, when you invite someone to a dinner table, do you know what that communicates to them? When you invite someone into your home, when you invite them to a meal, when you sit across the table from them, when you say, hey, let's go, let's go to Red Robin. Let's go get coffee. Let's go. There's a level of intimacy and acceptance. Hey, I'm inviting you into my space, to my world. You value to me. There's this closeness, this acceptance. And I'll tell you what, there's something so powerful about sitting across a table from someone, of sharing a meal with them, of having coffee with them. There's so much, there's so much that God does through that. That is where connections are made. That is where hearts are opened. That is where relationships get depth. I think that's where koinonia is fanned into flame. It's through that setting that we actually become family. Not just strangers that come together and worship, but that's when we become family. It's when we learn how to invest our lives into one another, bring us into their circles. Are you devoted to the church like that? Have you opened up your life, your home, your schedule for the people around you, for the church? Fourth thing they were devoted to, they were devoted to prayer. This is how you knew that they weren't dependent on themselves. They were dependent on the Lord. They're praying all the time. In fact, you read through the book of Acts, I have done this. You read through the book of Acts, you constantly see them praying. Acts chapter 4, they're in trouble with the authorities. What do they do? They don't call the attorney, they pray. Acts chapter 6, they're getting ready to make some decisions about the structure of the church. And what do they do? Uh, They don't consult some legal consultant or some some authority, they they pray. Acts chapter 9, there's a girl, Tabitha, who's sick. What does the church do? They pray. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. What do they do? They pray. Acts chapter 14, they've got new leaders in place. And what are they going to do? They pray. They pray. They pray. They pray. Constantly praying. Let me ask, do you pray for the church? Do you pray for the people in this room? Do you have people in the church that are praying for you? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this a different way. What does your prayer life look like? Now, I'll be honest, this is probably one of the most convicting statements. And I say this because it convicts me. Your prayer life or your lack of prayer life will show you who you're putting your trust in. Think about that. I go through a day and I'm like, hey, I'm making all these decisions because, well, I'm, I've got knowledge. I've got experience. I know what I'm supposed to do. And my lack of prayer life shows, I put a lot of trust in myself. Whereas the early church, they're trusting in God constantly. They have to go to Him, pray continually. God, what do we do here? God, help us here. God, help us know what to do here. Listen, what does your prayer life say about who you're putting your trust in? Because I tell you what, if we are dependent on the Lord, we're going to be praying. God, we need you. God, help us know what to do here. God, help me. (laughs) Remember talking to a friend of mine this week, and he's like, I have to pray every day, Lord, help me to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. I tell you what, if I'm not praying that, man, I can be a jerk, I can be arrogant, I can be rude. Man, I love that. God, every day let me pray that you would help me to walk in your Spirit. You pray that because you're dependent on the Lord and not yourself. This is where I think about the church. I think about these four bold devotions. Boldly devoted to the word of God, to each other, to breaking of bread and to prayers. You ever think maybe sometimes we get church wrong? See, I think that the key to this, the key to this early church is is they were devoted to something other than themselves. None of this was all about them. It was all about God and other people. And sometimes I think we view church wrong. We view church as something it's in it for me. I come to church because I get stuff from church. I come to church because I expect the pastor to preach for 35 minutes, and if he goes long, I'm going to complain. I expect the worship team to be really good and have all their stuff together. I expect that there be good uh, potlucks with jello without the shredded carrots in it. Like, I, like We expect these things of the church because it's about me. But what if the church isn't about me? I mean, we have this attitude about the church. Church meets my needs. Have you ever thought maybe, maybe that's why our connection with God is just okay. Maybe that's why our our faith is not as strong as it could be. Because we've made our faith, we've made church about me and what I get instead of what God is calling me to give. This is why Acts chapter 2 is so beautiful and challenging and convicting. Because this is a picture of the church being the church. This is a body of Christ being the body of Christ. That as they were devoted, radically devoted to the word of God, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer, as they were sacrificing and loving one another, you know what happens? Verse 43. It said, awe came upon every soul. Isn't that true? When the church is the church, when we do what we're supposed to do, man, don't you just get lost in how wonderful it is, how awesome it is to see God and see the church being the church? It says in verse 47, because they were devoted to these things, that they were praising God and having favor of all the people, and the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. This is how the church became a movement because the people were so committed to the message. They're willing to suffer for it because they're so committed to one another. They weren't living for themselves, but they were actually sacrificing and loving one another. They had a faith so strong that it was completely dependent on the Lord, not on themselves. The people around them looked and said, man, what's going on in that church? What is bringing these people together? That it's a random smattering of people that don't belong together. There's something powerful happening there because they are, are, are committed to one another. They're loving one another. They have this koinonia. And it says people were saved because of that. I'll tell you what, Jesus is contagious. Jesus is so contagious. People just need to be able to see him. And how do they see him? Through the church. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. When we live this out, People can't be helped but to be drawn to what God is doing in that. Here's our summary for this passage this morning. The early church's radical devotion to God and to his people brought awe and favor on the church and enabled the church to become a movement. It was their radical devotion to God and to his people that enabled them to become a movement that changed the world around them. Now, one of the things I think we get, church is not a building. Church is not a pastor. Church is the people. You and I, we are the church. Let me ask you this. What is a what is church known for? And again, if you and I are the church, let me ask you this. What are you known for? Are you known as somebody who is radically devoted to the word of God? Do you read it? Do you believe it? Do you live it out? Again, if you and I are the church, are we known as being people who are radically devoted for how we love one another? Radically devoted to sacrificing for each other. Is that what we're known for? Are we known as people who invite others into our lives to connect on a heart level? We'd open up our schedule, our home, our heart to let others in. Are we known for that? Are you known for that? Are you known as someone who believes that prayer is powerful and you're dependent on the Lord? The early church, they devoted themselves to these things. And it was such a powerful testimony of what God did in the early church. So here's here's our application this morning. I want to teach you a, a Hebrew phrase. Uh, oftentimes we look at the Old Testament, we look at the scriptures, and we see the original languages. So I want to teach you uh, this this Hebrew phrase, and uh, I, I think go ahead and throw that slide. We're, I'm going to teach this to you. Uh, first, first word you to say this with me. Oppen, say a pen, oppen, oppen, ya, yeah. ya. Yeah. You got You got to get the like ya, yeah. yeah. it's like ah oppen, ya, yeah. a uh, hot. Okay, you guys say this with me. Open ya hot. Say it again. Open ya. Okay, I'm this is actually this really isn't a a Hebrew phrase. I'm just getting you to say open your heart, right? Right? Can we just (laughs) open (laughs) ya sorry? (laughs) It made me laugh this week. This is the application point this morning. I'm going to drill it. We're getting serious now. (laughs) This is what I'm asking you to do. Would you open your heart? Would you imagine what God could do through you and through us if we would just open our hearts and trust God? Open our hearts and be devoted to the people of God. what is it going to take for some of us in this room to actually open our hearts to the Lord and to the things of God? Let's just acknowledge that some of us in this room, we're struggling a little bit. Our faith has gone a little bit cold. Maybe we're a little bit lukewarm. We're not walking with God like we once were. Oh, maybe we're not walking in deep sin. Maybe you are. But maybe you're not walking in deep sin but you would say, man, I'm not praying like I used to. I'm not walking with God like I used to. I'm not reading my Bible like I used to. I've just gotten a little stagnant. Let me remind you, the devotion you see in Acts chapter 2 is in response to the gospel. Peter preached that message and said, Jesus died for you. He rose from the grave. It's your sin that put him there. But he died for you. Why? Because he loved you. Because he loved you enough. That he wanted you to have salvation. He wanted you to be made right with God. He wanted you to be free to find healing and purpose and joy and passion. This is why this, this devotion, this radical devotion to God and to his people was in response to the gospel. They recognized what Jesus has done for me and it called them to have this radical devotion. This is why we say here at Restoration Church, like we're, we're, we're a gospel people. We're going to point back again and again and again to the gospel because as we continually open our hearts to the gospel, I think that's where God calls us to be devoted to him, to his word, to our faith. Some of us need to take some time and make that commitment to open our hearts to God and really lean into him. Let me ask you this. What's going to take for some of you to open your hearts to his people right here? To the people of God? I think one of the problems in our day and age is I don't think we value the body of Christ. We don't value this room. Because what happens is we step into a setting and we look for people that are just like us. We want people that look like us, that think like us, that act like us, that make decisions like us. We want people just like us. The problem is, look at the church in Acts chapter 2. Diversity, 13 nations, all sorts of people. And for them, for the early church, their mission was so important. Their mission to make disciples, it was so important the love that they had experienced from Jesus, they knew they are supposed to extend that love to people around them. It was so important to them that it led them to have this radical commitment to people that were different than them, to people that might have been challenging, to people that didn't think the same way they did. And so they opened up their wallets. They opened up their hearts, their schedules, their homes. Imagine imagine how difficult that would have been. Again, you've got people with different personalities, different uh, uh, People that are annoying. I mean, I think about this. I think about the early disciples. They've got Peter, okay? Now, Peter was was transformed by the Holy Spirit. But I imagine those disciples don't forget all the dumb things that Peter used to say and do, right? Peter was a guy who spoke before he thought. So how many times did Peter do dumb things? How many times did he say the wrong thing at the wrong time? That would have been pretty annoying for you to be like, oh, i got to be committed to this person. i got to be friends with him and, and become family with this guy. I mean, I think about in the Gospel of John, John writes that after Jesus rose from the grave, him and Peter run to the tomb. And you can sense there's a little bit of like, you know, maybe annoyance because John's like, guess what? I won. I beat Peter. Why? There's a little competition. There's a little bit. Can you picture maybe some of the annoyances that they had in their relationship? Yet here they are, deeply committed to one another despite their differences. Despite how that person might be a little annoying. Despite how they're different than them. Let's just acknowledge sometimes this can get awkward. But I tell you what, the early church, they didn't get to become a movement until they were willing to move past the awkward. It's going to be awkward. Let's just acknowledge it. But when we move past it, that is when we experience the beauty and the power of what God can do in us and through us. And maybe this is why the early church had such power and such success, because they're willing to be devoted to one another. Like Acts chapter 2, 42. Not just when it was easy, not when it was convenient, not when they liked the people around them, but they said, hey, I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to devote myself. I'm going to commit myself to these people. So let me clear that here's here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. I'm asking you to devote yourself to this group of people right here. I'm asking you to sacrifice yourself to one another, to be devoted to have a depth of love and concern and care for the people in this room. How do you do that? Here's a simple way. Let's go break bread together. Invite someone over to your house. Invite them out for coffee. Take them out to, to eat. Do something where you can get together across the table. Oh, that makes me anxious. What do I do? You just you share your story. Here, here's my faith story. What's your faith story? Tell me about how you came to know Jesus. Tell me about what brought you to Restoration Church. Tell me about pray for one another. In fact, this week I had coffee with a friend, and it was so I don't know, it was good and convicting. Because him and I, just by chance, we're talking about, hey, well, what, are you, what are you reading in Scripture? And I'm like, oh, I'm struggling and going through the book of Leviticus. I'm getting through all these like, sacrifices, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And he's like, I'm in Leviticus. I love it. I love reading about that stuff. And I'm like, you jerk. I'm struggling through it. I'm like, oh man, can we get to something better? And he's like, I'm loving it. But you know what? That was so edifying for my heart. That I put a new passion in me. I'm going to jump into this deeper. It was so good for me. That's what happens when we get across the table with one another. The Lord does things like that. Invite someone into your home. Invite someone out to eat. Invite someone for coffee. Here's here's another crazy idea. Join a life group. You know, in a life group, we do all of what Acts 2.42 talks about. We study scripture together. We... uh uh. Uh, Deepen our relationships. We break bread and we pray for one another. You could be all of Acts two forty two in a stinking life group. Now, the objection: Well, I just don't have time. I don't. Hey, I get it. We're all busy. We're all busy. This is why the key word here is devotion. What are you actually devoted to? Because we all make these excuses. I don't have time. Because we' were devoted to other things that we think are just more important. Again, if we would grasp God. If we grasp the purpose he has for our life. That we are to be his witnesses. If we grasp the mission that he has called us to. Which is to make disciples. If we grasp that God has called us as Christians into a family. Into a church that becomes family. If that's what God calls us to wouldn't we think that God is worthy of us having some devotion to that maybe those things are maybe a little more important than some of the other things that we spend our time that we're devoted to because if we're going to be devoted to God and to his people it's going to require sacrifice require devotion sacrificing our time our money our energy but I tell you what as I look at Acts chapter 2, it's, I would say it's totally worth it. And as I long for us as a church, not just to be an institution, to, but to become a movement. It's going to require that we all jump in and have this radical devotion to God and to his people. Let me pray.